reclining at the table with the twelve and while they were eating he said truly I tell you one of you will betray me they were very sad and began to say to him surely not I Lord Jesus replied the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me the son of man will go just as it is written about him but woe to that man who betrays the son of man it would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom.
disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them sit here while I go over there and pray he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me going a little farther he fell with his face to the ground and prayed my father If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were so heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any 
Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and the guards took him and beat him. Where your love ran red when my sin 
Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all creative things, And all the ways of man You were here before the world began Above all kingdoms Above all thrones Above all wonders the world has ever known Above all wealth and treasures of the earth There's no way to measure what you're worth Crucified Lay behind the stone You live to die Rejected and alone Like a Trampled on the ground You took the fall And thought of me And all the way 
took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they stuck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! Who are you going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God.
your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, I'm in that place once again. Before we share communion together today, I would like to share a few thoughts with you on Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In the previous verses, we have Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus' affirmation that Peter's assessment of this is correct, that he is indeed the Messiah, but asked him to keep it quiet for a while. Jesus told him that those who understood this truth, that he was the Messiah, and those who would proclaim this truth in the future, would form the foundation of the building of the church, his church, Jesus being the cornerstone, and the others will form the building blocks, if you will, of the church. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, God's household, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Right after Peter's declaration, Matthew states that Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he needed to go to Jerusalem. It was imperative for him to go to Jerusalem. This was the beginning of the road to the cross. Up until now, Jesus' ministry had focused primarily on the Galilee region, but now he informed them it was time to move on. 
Not only will the road lead him to Jerusalem, but it will lead him to suffering. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. His suffering is going to come at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes. These three groups form this united group of leadership known as the Sanhedrin, the supreme legislative body of the Jews. It was the highest court in Judaism. They will inflict suffering on him. Now, ironically, what we see here is that the official leadership of Israel is actually rejecting Israel's Messiah. Not only will he suffer, but he will be killed by them as well. But he says on the third day, he will be raised by God from the dead. Jesus was attempting to reveal to them that being the Messiah was inseparable from suffering and death. That suffering and death was central to what it meant to be the savior of the world. Hearing what Jesus just said about suffering and death in Jerusalem, Peter was shocked and pulled Jesus aside. Since Peter was the one who got the, who do you say that I am question right, he's now the self-appointed spokesperson responsible for helping Jesus find some clarity. He began to rebuke Jesus. Now, Matthew uses this word rebuke a few times. He uses it when Jesus and the disciples are in the boat in a storm, and we're told that Jesus stood and rebuked the wind and the waves. He uses it when Jesus spoke to the demon while healing the boy who was experiencing seizures. And so, you know, he rebuked the demon. This was a very strong action that's been taken by Peter here. For the Jews, being the Messiah meant glory, victory. The long-awaited Messiah was expected to come and destroy their enemies, set them free from foreign bondage, establish God's rule within the nation. The Messiah represented triumph, liberation, and overpowering and overcoming evil. They knew there would be some opposition and hardship and unpleasantness on the road to majesty and splendor, but not suffering and death. What Jesus was saying about the Messiah was unthinkable for them. It went against everything they had ever expected of the Messiah. Now, this triggered a bold response from Peter. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. From Peter's perspective, death was not a goal to be fulfilled. It was a disaster to be averted. It was not just desirable for the Messiah. It was unthinkable. Peter's stubbornness his good heart and his ignorance all led to arrogance as he rebuked Jesus. Now, I want us to note that Jesus' response to Peter wasn't, Peter, 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 you just don't get it, you silly disciple, you. What am I going to do with you, Peter? Oh, no. Jesus responded with some unusually strong words. Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Why behind him? Is Jesus reiterating that he is the master and Peter is the pupil and the place of the pupil is in subjection to the master? I don't think so. Behind someone was considered to be a place of insignificance where one could be ignored. It was a position of humility. Jesus was saying to Peter, get away from me. Get out of my sight. Now, why would Jesus call Peter Satan? Well, because Jesus' suffering was the essence of being the Messiah. The two were inseparable. Jesus' death was central to God's plan. In the temptation narrative, the third temptation by Satan was an attempt to get Jesus to take the easy, spectacular path to glory. Satan took Jesus to the top of a high mountain showed him the kingdoms of the world, the splendor of those kingdoms, and said, I will give these kingdoms to you if you bow down and worship me. Satan was offering Jesus a cross-less victory, an opportunity to avoid suffering and pain. He was offering Jesus kingship without suffering. Satan never wanted Jesus to go to the cross. Satan knew that the cross 
was victory. The cross would be his defeat and demise. And so Peter, in essence, is suggesting the very same thing to Jesus here. Jesus, there must be a cross-less solution to victory. There must be an easier path to power. There must be a, a, a way to receive gain without pain. Let's do it that way. Peter instantly went from being the rock, one who proclaims Jesus' truth and builds Jesus' church, to a stumbling block, a rock that causes someone to fall down and fail and give up. Peter instantly went from one who spoke what God had revealed to him to speaking, in essence, for Satan. How is this possible? Well, Jesus told him he didn't have the mind of God. He didn't understand the truth of God's will and God's plans and God's ways. He had good intentions. He was thinking, though, in human terms, selfish terms. And you know what? He was wrong. Jesus securing our salvation on the cross was not easy. It involved suffering, rejection, accusation, misunderstanding, and ultimately death. All that took place was absolutely necessary for God's purposes to be accomplished. Might I suggest today that according to scripture, burying our own cross for Jesus is not intended to be easy either. It too will include suffering, rejection, accusation, misunderstanding, death to our personal ambitions and desires. I wonder if at times we are like Peter. We become aware of what's required to take up our cross, but we don't like what it is we're learning. We want a more acceptable option. We want a more sanitized version of following Jesus. That's what's preferable to us. Our intentions may be good, but our conclusions demonstrate, like Peter, that we really don't get it. There are no shortcuts to following Jesus. It requires repentance, humility, surrender, obedience, commitment, sacrificial giving of our whole lives and all that we own. Being a follower of Jesus is not an easy life. You will face battles as a follower of Jesus that you never would have otherwise had you not committed to the kingdom of God. We didn't choose to follow Jesus because it was easy or convenient. We chose to follow Jesus because he's the only way of salvation, that we're lost without him. The cross is difficult, but it and it alone leads to victory. Following Jesus is not an easy road, but it is the only road worth traveling. At this time, we're going to celebrate communion together. In Luke 22, verses 14 to 16, we read, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Then in Luke 22:19 it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In Luke 22:20 we read, In the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful today that we can gather around your table and celebrate the greatest gift one could ever be given, the gift of salvation and grace and hope and eternal life through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice 
on the cross. We pause today to give thanks for the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made, the suffering he endured, the punishment that he took upon himself for our benefit. And Father, today we bow in humble thanks before you for all that Jesus has done for us. And Father, today we also pray as we too realize that to bear our cross, to take up our cross and follow after him, means that we identify with him and the suffering and the pain and the challenges and the difficulty of this life, that serving you is not the easy road. It's not an easy way out, but it comes with sacrifice. It comes with difficulty. And today we commit before you afresh that we embrace the suffering, we embrace the commitment, and we follow after you with all of our hearts. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And thank you for what there is left still to be done in our lives as we seek you and as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.